So you go ahead and make your way to, let's see. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to start before, sort of have a little bit of introduction before we get there, but we'll be John chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. Um, Last month, at the beginning of the year, um, we started a new practice on the first Sunday of every month, and that's to go through, preach through on the first Sunday of every month, the catechism question for the month. Now, some of you are going, what's a catechism? And some, and I didn't probably explain it very well last year when I introduced you to the catechism that we're going through. Um, but we introduced it for us as a teaching tool. It's like an instrument for learning. Um, the, it, it, it literally means to uh, instruct by the word of mouth. Um and what I want to do tonight, if you make your way back tonight, is I actually am going to explain where it comes from, where the one we use, where it comes from, how we got it, when it came about. Lord willing, tonight we will look at that. Uh, but I want you to understand something about catechisms and why they're so important uh, and give you sort of a brief understanding of where they came from in whole. So after the Protestant Reformation, about five 500 years ago or so, right – Pastors realized something. They realized that their, their members didn't know anything about the Word of God. They didn't know anything when it came to doctrine. And it wasn't really their fault. It was because for the last hundreds of years, if not a thousand years, they didn't have access to the Scriptures. They didn't have it. And so after the Protestant Reformation, many of these pastors understood that they had to go and teach their their people what the Word of God taught, what doctrines were core to the Christian faith. And so they wrote a lot of stuff, big stuff, small stuff. And one of the things that came out of all that was the catechism, a way to introduce and teach them and help their members memorize the core things the Bible teaches one of them was a pastor in England called Richard Baxter. And he was so convinced, and this was uh, in the 1600s, he was so convinced that his people needed to know it that he wrote 10, ten uh, question and answers in a catechism and went house to house in town teaching and helping them to memorize uh, these core doctrines of the scriptures. Now, I don't plan on doing that, but I'll say this. If that's something you desire, you let me know, and we can work something out. Um, but what the path that I've decided to take is is that each month we have a catechism with 82 questions and answers, and each month we're going to highlight one and spend the whole month as it's sort of overhanging the month. Um and so that's our plan. But when Richard Baxter did this, he came to a, a town, the town that he was to preach in, and it was dead. It was really dead. And, and he took the scriptures, he took the core doctrines of, of the word of God into the homes, 
And out of that sparked this mighty revival in this in this little quiet town. Um, and here's what I want you to understand as we do this month by month is that what the Bible teaches matters. Doctrine matters. And the word doctrine just means teaching. Right. Jesus used the word. The apostles used the word. It matters and we must know it. Now, if you're unsure about that actual statement that doctrine matters and we must know it, come back tonight and we're going to walk through the pastoral epistles so you can understand Paul telling Timothy and Titus how important that they get their teaching right so that their people can hear the correct teaching. He said to Timothy, command and teach these things. Devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures, to exhortation and to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you, that uh, all may see your progress. Here's what he tells them. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on the teaching, on your doctrine that you are giving to the body of Christ. He said, persist in this. Hear this. Why does he need to do this? For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And that's because the truth in the scriptures are the food we need in salvation. Not just in justification like we talked about last month, but in the whole process of being saved. From justification to sanctification to glorification. Sanctification will be our our topic next month. But as for this month... Uh, we're going to look at adoption. Adoption, just like justification. Can anybody recite it? Anybody want to try? Justification is the act of God's free grace, whereby he pardons all our sin, right? And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only by the righteousness of who? Jesus. And only received by what? Faith. Faith alone. And so that that was last month. This week, this month we're going to be looking at adoption, which is a glorious doctrine of salvation. See, salvation isn't just, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. There's so much more to it than that. And so we're going to read... Um, we're going to read the question and answer, then we're going to read John 1, a little bit of John 1, and then we're going to flip to Galatians. But here's what I want you to understand. Adoption is a part of what Christ has done to us, for us, and through us. It is a glorious, glorious truth of a blessing that we have in Christ. So if you look at the back of your bulletin, did I put it on there? Okay, yeah. You look at the back of your bulletin, you see, you see it. I'm not going to make you recite it this morning. I just want to read it out loud to you, and then we'll go to John 1. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And then you see your little scripture references there entail. So let's turn our attention to John 1. We'll just have five verses there to read. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. We're talking about Jesus here, the Son. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, go to the right in your Bibles, past all the Gospels, past Acts, past Romans, past the Corinthian letters, and you'll get to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Perhaps one of the best summations of adoption straight out of Scripture. Galatians chapter 4. We're just going to start in verse 4 and read through 7. So just uh, a few verses here. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir with God. Would you pray with me for just a minute? Bow your heads. Father, uh, we are diving into such glorious truths of uh, the adoption of sons and daughters into the family of God through Jesus Christ and the pouring out of your spirit. So would you teach us in this moment that we might know what it is to be a child of God and that we might exalt our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So here's here's the path we're going to take to understand adoption. There's really three things, three points, but we're only going to look at one this morning. And then you're going to come back tonight and we're going to do the last two. So this morning we're going to look at the act of adoption, which is really the first two. This is really the first half of our, our, our answer in our catechism, question and answer. The act of adoption. And then tonight we're going to look at our inheritance as heirs, which is basically the privileges of being adopted. Okay, And then after that, we're going to look at the responsibilities and duties that come with adoption. So the act of adoption, the privileges of adoption, and the responsibilities and duties that come with being adopted into the family of God. Now, I want to kind of get take another step back to talk about the idea of how important doctrine is. And I want to use an example as it pertains to adoption to help us understand this, there's a danger. This is what I want to call the danger of not caring or understanding doctrine. And I want to call it, it's, I'm going to call it this, and it's the slippery slope of sloppy doctrine. You cannot forget that. Kids, you got it? The slippery slope of sloppy doctrine. Okay? Because what, there is a danger when we don't desire to know and understand the teachings of Scripture. So let's take this 
Doctrine, for example, the doctrine of adoption, that through Christ we are adopted into the family of God. And we know that phrase. We know it's in the scriptures, like children of God, child of God, son of God. But we also have in our minds another doctrine, which is equally true, and that's the sanctity of all human life because all people are made in the image of God, right? So we have these two things, children of God through Jesus Christ, sanctity of human life because all are made in the image of God. Now, those are two equally true doctrines, um, but when you bring them or try to blend them together in a way that's not biblical— you sort of make that you sort of make it semi-true. Now here's the thing I want you to understand. Anything semi-true when it comes to the Bible is fully wrong. Okay? Semi-true when it comes to the scriptures equals fully wrong. So you have an understanding of these two different doctrines and you try to bring them together, right? And you say something like this. We are children of God because we are all made in the image of God. Two statements that are true, but when they're joined together with that word because, we're actually not speaking truth. Now, that's the slippery slope. Two true statements come together incorrectly to make one full incorrect statement. That's why I wanted us to read John 8 to begin our time together. Because Jesus shows us that sheer physical birth does not make one a child of God. Sheer physical coming into this world does not make you a child of God. Uh, Jesus in John 8 sets, sets up two types of people, and those two types of people either fit into one or another family. So here's what Jesus says of these two types of people in John 8. Those who abide in his word and those who don't. Those who have found freedom in Christ... And those who are enslaved to sin. Those who love Jesus. Those who don't. Those who hear and understand his word. Those who cannot hear it at all. The first group. Jesus says that God. Yahweh is their father. But the second group. He says. The devil is their father. Okay. John 8. This is a direct quote from John 8. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? That's a that's a um, rhetorical question because he knows. He says, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. In other places, he says, you can't hear my word. You're physically hearing it, but you're not spiritually understanding it. He says, for you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do our, your father's desires. So we spend so much more time on this, but this is not what I want to get to. But I'm just trying to help you understand that passages like this help us understand that statements that we try to make, like we're all children of God because we're all made in the image of God, that, that, that's not correct. And when we have that stance... We are doing something to the scriptures, to the, to the beautiful doctrines. Now, you know, you, you might push back and say, well, it's not that big a deal if I get something wrong in the scriptures, right? It's not that big a deal if I misunderstand a doctrine, a teaching from, from scripture. Well, 
It's not like getting a calculus problem wrong. I'll tell you a little secret. I dropped out of Calc 2. And it didn't have, it actually had a positive effect on my life. Okay? But if you flunk the doctrines of Scripture, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous for yourself. And even more so, it's dangerous to the next generation. Your kids and your grandkids. So, if misunderstanding or not caring about the doctrine of the, of the scriptures, it is, it's this, you know, okay, a slippery slope. What's the analogy of a slippery slope? If you slip, what happens? You keep going. We know much about slippery slopes this last week, right? Once you get going, you can't stop. So here's how I want, I want to show you this slippery slope of misunderstanding the doctrine of adoption. We start with these two truths that we join together. We're children of God because we are made in the image of God. And then the, you slip, right? You go a little further down the hill and you say it changes. Everyone, everyone is a child of God because we are all made in the image of God. You slip a little bit further. Because we're all children of God, God loves us all the same no matter what. You slip down a little bit more. God loves us unconditionally no matter what I do. You slip a little bit further, God loves me and he doesn't care about my sin. You see that slope? You see that slippery slope? So this is, this is, this is a slope that the church has fallen all the way down into. If, you have, if you've been paying attention to the, the church around us, and I don't mean locally, I mean everywhere. The first line from someone trying to convince the church or even themselves that homosexuality is okay, or it's okay to be, it's fine, the Bible doesn't care if you're gay and a Christian. But see, it starts, the first thing that they say is that we're all children of God and He loves me and all of us unconditionally because we're made in His image. And He made me this way. See, I don't want to, I'm not, the whole point is not to, to, to go into this route and talk about homosexuality, the point is, is when you miss doctrine and you misunderstand it, it leads to sin. And it leads to sin that could damn you for all eternity. And that could be any sin. The reason why the church, the, the divorce rates in church are similar to the divorce rates in the world is because we haven't understood the doctrines of, of God. The reason why... Um, People think it's normal to just come to church on a whim every once or, twi- once or twice a month or every other week. is because they've misunderstood the, the true teachings of the scriptures. When we misunderstand or we don't care, that's probably the biggest problem in our culture, is that we don't think that understanding the doctrines of the Bible matter, then we, we live and we just live in our sin. If we don't, at Ozark's Bible Church, and individually, if we don't hold our doctrinal standard high, if we're not seeking to be, here's a quote from, uh, from Paul to Timothy, workers who have no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, can you say that? Can you say this morning that you have worked in the scriptures? 
that you have put time and effort so that you might not be standing in front of God ashamed of your inability to handle the scriptures. And I'm not saying you're able to preach a sermon or do this or do that, but that you know what the Bible teaches. And the reason why the catechism comes is because it's an easy method for me to pastorally teach you what's in the scriptures. And it's short. It's simple. And you can put it to memory. But when we don't do that, if we don't have a high standard, if we're not seeking to rightly handle the word of truth, we endanger ourselves, we endanger our relationships, we endanger this church, and perhaps we endanger our souls. Paul says this to Timothy again. He says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. It is very important. Now, I don't plan on making this short of spiel every first Sunday of the month, but we're new to this, so I just want to make sure we understand why we're moving in this direction and making this practice and, and, and caring about this thing called a catechism. Okay, adoption. As for the adoption, the doctrine of adoption, we're going to look at the act this morning. And it could be summed up like this. This is just really simple, my words. Uh, the act of adoption is God gracious. Keep John 8 in mind. God graciously moving a child of the devil to the family of God through the new birth, through being born again in Christ by the Spirit of God. So as we begin to study the doctrine of adoption we have to wash our minds. I know we, we've all been we've all been tainted with what the world tries to tell us the Bible says. And as we think about this, we have to cleanse our mind. We have to ask the Lord, cleanse me of all the false thinking and teaching that I had in my mind. And we must cleanse ourselves of thinking that everyone everywhere on the basis of physical birth is a child of God. Because when you do that, when you, don't, when you go into this doctrine thinking that everyone everywhere is a child of God and God sees anyone and everyone all the same, when we come and do that, it's like, it's like diluting down this gloriousness of what Christ has done for you and bringing you into the family of God. I love, I love in my coffee heavy whipping cream. Like I don't, don't give me that powder. Don't give me milk. Don't give me 2%, 1%. Don't give me half and half. I want heavy Whipping cream in my coffee. Now, if you pour water in that, it loses all of its richness, all its creaminess, all its fullness, and you just might as well give me skim milk, right? When we misunderstand the doctrines of the scriptures, it's like drinking skim milk when we think we're getting rich, creamy, heavy whipping cream. Okay? So this is... The, and it matters. It matters for your soul and for the sake of the, the church. The act of God's free grace is the act of adoption, as it says in our catechism question and answer. And when you, when you study the act, of, uh, the act of adoption, you see something. You actually see three things. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can't miss it. The Godhead, the three-in-one are there plastered all over the scriptures when you read these texts that speak of our adoption uh, as sons and daughters into the family of God. And it's because the only way we are saved is through this act of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an act of God's free grace. Right? Okay, now, 
I, we, hadn't, we didn't read Ephesians 1. We're about to Bible study it up. So get your Bibles out. There's no single text. I can't, I'm not good enough to preach a doctrine from one text. So we're going to bounce back and forth between four texts, actually. And we're going to start in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. All right, verse verse three. Now I'm just going to read it and kind of walk through it. Oh, we see. Okay, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the beauty of what it means to be redeemed, saved. It's not just heaven to hell. It's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse four. Even as He chose us in Him. Before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Look at verse 5. In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as what? Sons. So, all right, the first thing we see pertains to the Father, the will of God. Your adoption as a child of God through Jesus Christ was done, as verse 4 says, before the foundations of the world. When someone gets adopted, they have to sign papers. Well, guess what? The papers were signed before a star was hung in the sky. It was a done deal. Paul makes a similar point in verse 11. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Who who obtains an inheritance? Only children, right? Only Children of the family and children who have a family, their heirs, we'll see that word later, their heirs and heirs receive what? The inheritance. So in him we have obtained an inheritance that's implying adoption, that's applying being a son or a daughter, having been predestined according to whose purpose? The purpose of him, God. And look how he does this. Who works all things according to the counsel of your will. No, of his will. Because you couldn't will this. You couldn't even, we could all get together and try to figure this all out or make this great redemption story. And man, we would just mess it up left and right. But the the perfect goodwill of God the Father has predestined our adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. He has obtained for us an inheritance. Go back up. Before we, let me, well, no, we'll just move on. We'll just move on. Okay. The son, there's the father. Now it's the son. You see it at the end of verse five. Uh, uh, He's predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Son of God, according to the purpose of his will, the Father's will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7 gives us more detail of the work of the Son in this adoption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Let me help you understand something. You remember justification last week, right? Or last month. Act of God's free grace. Pardoned of all our sins, accepted as righteous in the sight of God, 
by the righteousness of Christ uh, only and through faith alone. Justified. The only people who are adopted are the justified. It's connected. You're justified in Christ by his blood, accepted as righteous. You are brought into the family of God. No one comes into the family of God not covered by the blood of Christ. Justification, adoption, and then next month we'll look at another part of it, sanctification. Jesus, the Son, spills his blood so that you could forever be brought into the family of God. Now, to see... One more thing the Son does. Let's go to John 1, where we were earlier. John 1. We're going to see one more thing the Son does, and but also who the Son is. John 1, chapter 1. Yeah, John 1, Gospel John. Verse 12. Okay. Well, let's back up. Verse 11, because we're going to talk about this too a little bit. He came to his own. So Jesus came to his own. Do you know his own were? Israel, right? He comes to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Now, let me just say something. And he means in totality, right? Like there were Jews who actually did receive him. The apostles, the disciples were Jews. So it's not as if every Jew turned their back to the Messiah, the Christ. He's just saying, in totality, the nation of Israel turned their back to their Messiah. Okay, So he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, here's another act of the Son in adoption, he gave the right to become children of God. See, it's, it's not something you just go and pick up at the store. It's not something you just decide, oh, I'm going to be a child of God now. No, no, no. Christ hands you the right to become a child of God. And you're thinking, but what authority, what power does he have to do that? Well, hang on to that. We're going to get to that in a few verses below. Now look what it says. He gives Jesus the Son, the Word, has given the right to become Children of God. Now, I want you to see something here. Become children of God. John, who wrote this, was a Jew. He, in Christ, became a child of God. Now, understand that. We see Israel as God's uh, chosen people of the Old Testament. God's people. And we would assume, are they not all children of God? No. No. No, Paul, Paul is very clear. The, the, only, the only Jew who is a true Jew, the only Jew who is a child of God is one who has a heart that has been circumcised. One that has been spiritually united to God by faith. Not all of Israel is Israel. Just because you were ethnic Jew did not mean you were in the family of God. Only those who were spiritually united to God through faith were actually children of God. So if that's true, we have to eat. We, that's even more of a reason to throw out the reality that all people today who are born are children of God, right? 
Well, I mean, that even that blows that out of the water. He gave them the right to become children of God. Now, this question then is like, okay, so adoption is the way we see it today is you bring someone into the family who really they're born in another family and then you bring them into another family or into your family. They're, they're not born into your family. Well, in adoption, in the family of God, it's both and. It's, it's, it, it's not strictly like we see adoption. You're outside of the family, but you're actually then born into the family of God. Look what it says. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you took out those phrases, we would say that they were born of God. What does that mean? Well, John 3, 3, right? Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You are spiritually born into the family of God by faith. And this says, this, this tells, this, this declares one word that we can repeat many, many times. Grace, grace, God's grace, marvelous grace, amazing grace. We are born by grace into the family of God. Being born in in, in one three is oh, oh well. We're starting to see in verse thirteen. We're starting to see in verse thirteen the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. We alluded it to it just now in John three three, but we'll come back to him in just a minute. But verse fourteen is where we see the power and authority and why Jesus the Son can give the right to become children of God. What gives him the power and authority to make to give people the right to become children of God? Verse 14. And the word, might you, God, the word was with God and the word was God, and the word, we're talking about the Son, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as, my version says, the only Son from the Father, Yours might say, the only begotten from the Father. So why can Jesus hand out birthrights? Because he is the only one true son from the Father. See, we come to the Father, into the family, through the will of the Father, the work of the Son, and the application of the Spirit. Jesus, from the Father, directly. So guess who is the rightful heir? Jesus. Guess who owns the inheritance? Jesus. So he can do with it as he pleases. It is his to give the right to sinners whom he sheds his blood for. Look at, let's take a second. Look, er, look at Psalm 2. Sorry. Look at Psalm 2. This is. Such a good couple verses to help you think about the Son of God as the rightful heir with the inheritance from God. And Psalm 2 helps us see this. 
and understand it. We're going to be finishing up here in just a minute. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8. Notice the language here. I will tell of the the decree. The Lord Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now I want you to understand something. David, I'm assuming it's David, is speaking of one who is to come. The Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And do you know how I know this? <coughs> because the writer of Hebrews references this verse. <coughs> and uses this verse to talk about Jesus Christ. Now look what verse 8 says. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your Heritage. Does anyone else say anything different other than heritage? Inheritance. The nations belong to Jesus. They are his. Rightfully. He is the heir. The only begotten from the Father. And he has the right power and authority to do with it as he pleases. And he Invites us into it. This is adoption. <coughs> Alright, one more passage. Really quick. Galatians 4. All the way back to the New Testament. Where we were in Galatians 4. Verse 4, a great summation of the the doctrine of adoption, but it's also going to help us see Galatians. Oh, I said one more. There's another one. This in Romans 8 helps us see the participation of the Spirit in adoption. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, I would love to preach through this idea of being, no longer being a slave, but a son. Just, but just use your imagination and imagine a household. And in that household is a slave and a son, a slave and the heir of the, all the, of, of of that household. Which would you rather be? Which which lives in fear? And which lives in joy? In Christ we are adopted and made a son of the household of God. Heirs of all, co-heirs with Christ. No longer slaves living in fear of God. The son comes to the door. Dad... In no fear, but in joy and love. And the slave walks up to the door of the owner, the master of the house, and trembles and dares not knock on that door in fear of judgment. The the slave works and gets nothing in return. The son awaits 
his inheritance. We're no longer slaves, but a son. Outside of Christ, you are nothing but a slave. A slave to sin. Condemned, bound, in chains. Now Romans 8. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, who bears the name Son of God, Child of God? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Those who have been born of God, who have been born again. Look what he says, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, one final point on Acts is on the act of adoption. This isn't in our, our catechism question, but it's implied. And if you come back tonight, I'll explain it to you why, how. Scripture closely ties together our adoption with the incarnation of the Son. John 1 Galatians 4, Romans 8, all make direct reference to the Son of God putting on flesh. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Romans 8, God by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Set forth his son, born of woman, born under a law. So I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me really, really good here. This is it. We, mankind, the physical, are adopted into a spiritual family of God, not physical, only because the spiritual became physical. Us, where did we come from? The dirt, right? Where'd God, where'd the sun come from? Heavenly glory. The only way we can experience that heavenly glory. That's how Romans 8 ended, right? We will be glorified with him as long as we suffer with him. He suffered by removing his glory and putting on the dirt. In order that we could put on the heavenly robe to cover our filthy rags. Let me read you this passage to help us understand it a little bit more. Just just listen very carefully. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely 
It is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's just another way of saying the spiritual family of God. You understand that? Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to appease God's wrath so he would not strike us down to hell and put us in not just the dirt, but an eternal lake of fire. For because he, he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to make, help those who are being tempted. So now we're getting into the privileges of being a son and daughter of, of God and Jesus Christ. But you got to come back tonight and hear the rest of those. If you find yourself today still in that bondage of sin, deceived and fearful of death, falling away from the, from the living God, Hebrews says, Hebrews says, hey, if you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you today, do not harden your heart, but turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has come to you this morning in the preaching I've, I've, I've spoken to you. He's come to set you free from that bondage. He's come to set you free and redeem you from the pit of hell. He's come to bear your sins upon that cruel cross. To cleanse you of all that dirt and filthiness and unrighteousness. And to bring you into this family. So i got to ask you this morning, are you a child of God? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that your sinfulness has made you a rebel of God, a son of the devil? So come to come to Christ this morning and see his his see his nail-pierced hands. See the spear hole of his side. See the blood on his brow and you're thinking, "Wow, I can't see it by faith you can." By faith you can be born again into the family of God and trust in him that he died for you, has shed his blood for you. Submit to him as Christ, as king, and then stand on him and live for the glory of God. Make a profession of faith and baptism. Join this body and be a part of the family of God in Jesus Christ. Be adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. By the giving of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we trust you to do your work and will in us. We plead for you to do it in us. To help us to understand that what we know about you is so important. And help us to see how great it is to be a child of God. And help us to take the only thing that can turn a child of the devil to a child of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ into this dying world. Help us to tell it to our kids and our grandkids. And to remind each other of it day by day. That he might be our elder brother glorified above all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.